If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now I am excited to bring again another repeat guest, Joe Hool, who's been on Horse Chats before. If you go back and search Joe or search for Hool, you'll find out more about her. She's an eventing specialist and is still a competitor. And we did talk a little bit about the last episode about tips on fitting the event horse and she promised she'd come back. So true to her promise, she's come back and she's teaching us today about 10 tips on fitting the event horse. How are you today, Joe? I'm good, thank you, Glennis. How are you going? Yeah, yeah, really good. Joe, this topic, I know that you've done a lot in this, but just tell us specifically a little bit about your background and where you've got the knowledge to um, be able to talk about this subject, this specialist knowledge. Okay, right. Um, I was eventing in my teens, lots of different horses, four owners as a junior. I didn't actually own my own horse then, so I rode a lot of different horses for for owners and it based in yards. So fitting, right from the beginning, I was taught about fitting in a very methodical way. But then I ended up working in quite a few yards up to, all the way up to four-star yards. And these are yards in the UK, aren't they? Yeah, these yep. are in the UK. I, I was born and grew up in the UK before I before I travelled late teens. So, yeah, so I was based there working in these yards. So we'd be riding the horses and doing all the stable management and doing all the fitting work. And it became really drummed into me. And, and then moving on with my own horse horses from then on and coming over to Australia, I've continued to sort of follow that sort of pattern. And a lot of time when I read books, about fitting or event horse training, this typical sort of fitting plan comes in to a lot of the books that you pick up. So it's it's a very sort of structured standard. And um, I found it it's a great way of protecting against injuries and giving the horses a progressive, steady preparation so that when you arrive at the event, you're ready for it. You're more than ready for it. And I think I was inspired because when I'm coaching, I get a lot of riders sort of ring me up and say, I need to go cross-country training. And I go, yeah, I'm doing a one-day event next week. And you're like, oh, (laughs) you know, panic. And I sort of tentatively, so what have you been doing, you know, for the last six weeks, seven weeks? Um, Well, I pulled him out of the paddock last week and I've I've schooled a bit, but I'm going to go for it. And I'm like, oh, my God. So yes. I really felt that it was important. And there's a lot of people in 
professional levels and, and riding at higher levels that know this and they have their own variations. But but quite often, and especially riding clubs, people are not so aware of all the factors and how it can help them yeah, and yeah. how it can protect them as well. So it's sort of something that I I felt inspired okay, to bring good, to you. Good. And I think if it can help some people and ultimately help the horse, then, you know, that's the main reason that we're doing it for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and passing on passing on this knowledge that mm. people have, it's not like I'm always learning. I, it's just people have passed it on to me and I feel like you pass it on mm. and that's the way it goes, yeah. All right, so the first tip we've got, tip number one, is planning. Okay, well, I think that's really important because I think when I look at doing just a one-day event, I'd be thinking about that early in my year or the year before I'd be looking ahead and I'd get the diary out and I'd plan where I want to event and and usually you'd start with it has some progression to it I might start with a nice easy lower level one day event say I was going to start in March and then I might be looking at April there might be another at that level followed by a more difficult level then I might look May Perhaps a course that I know is a little bit more difficult. Um, I might fit a spell in for a rest, me to have a holiday, horse to have a holiday. And then I might be looking at the spring events as well. But I'd be looking in advance of the year of what do I want to achieve in that year and where are those events so that I can literally work backwards to when do I start my it, it has to be at least a minimum of six weeks, say a six to eight week program to prepare the horse's fitness for the first event. Mm-hmm. And I'd look up, I go onto all the websites, I look up where the local dressage comps are, where the local show jumping is, what training, what clinics, what fits in to my program. So when the horse is ready to go and do a dressage test, can I find something where I can take them locally to just run through a test? Um, what show jumping clinics are on and being in a like in a rural area here in, in on the border we've got a limited number of competitions we can get to and a limited number of training clinics so you have to really look at it carefully and do quite a bit of research on the dressage event on the show jumping comps on the Victorian and the New South Wales eventing site so that I can sort of pick a program and once I've got an idea on that, and I've got a few young riders who I work with, they'll come round and we'll have a coffee and we'll sit down and we'll we'll do an action plan. And they'll say, look, you know, what do you think I should do with my first event? And, and we do a lot of planning. Yep. And that gives you your starting because you need to know that you reach the event at the right point of your fitness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for the horse. And also rider fitness as well. That needs to be planned in. Yep. So great deal of planning, and I just just to mention that if the horse say has had an injury in the past year and they're coming back from an injury, that might be a totally different plan. They might need a much slower slower preparation, longer preparation, and that can totally things like that can totally alter factors or remedial farriery or something like that. So I just sit down and look at all the factors first yeah, yeah. and start to work out where I want to be, when I want to be there. 
And I like the way that you do it with a group of your riders, not just individually, but you're maximising your time, but you're also putting it in that they can learn from each other, you know, that every horse is an individual. And even though you might have a general overall plan for the season for the horses, each horse is an individual, so you're still considering each of the horses as individuals. Yeah, I like that. When when we're out as a group, this is off, but cross-country training, I like to... I ask the others, what do you think about the approach that horse did? What do you yep. think about the way that jumped? And, and quite often they're in a couple chatting and I'll go, guys, you know, have a look. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, think. What do you think? What do you mm. like about it? First of all, what's good? Be a positive. What would you improve? And try and get them to analyse and get involved and think a bit more and, and just sort of work it through. Yep, yep. Yeah. All right. The next one you've got is number two, and you've got preparation. So you've done the planning, which is, I suppose, part of your preparation, but this is a little bit more specific, this preparation. Yeah, this um, I just put it in because if you were preparing for, let's say in this case, quite an important one-day event, it's easier to, if you've had your horses been resting for a while or been spelling out at grass, you... You want to take this time to just make sure everything is ready, even your float. Make sure your float, you've got your bearings are good, your tyres are good, your lights are good, the wiring, the floor, the hitch. You don't really want to suddenly throw that in like week five. I'm going to suddenly go to a dressage conference. Oh my God, yeah, I've got a problem with the tyres or something. So I would put that in early and I'd make sure my transport. Good, my car's in good condition. Now, it could be that they're already, they're always in good nick, but it gives you a double check. And um, things like your, your tack and your kit, if you've had a bit of a break, did you clean it? Is it supple? And I'm smiling because I've, I've had people come for coaching and they pull a bridle out the float and it's crisp, <laughs> it, it sort of crackles and and I'll go, have you got some saddle soap with you? Because you've got to supple that up before you put it on the horse. And sometimes we're tired, we're busy, we've got work, you know, it gets thrown in there, but generally it's clean it straight after you use it. But if if not, you know, go through your gear and is it safe? Just check, are the reins, perhaps there's some stitching going, is it going to break, are your stirrups, your stirrup leather safe? You might get the saddler. Because the horse is in a different condition, you might get the saddler to come and look at the saddle. Or you might wait until you've got a couple of weeks of work. It depends how good or bad your saddle's looking. Are my saddle cloths clean? My boots, are they clean? The paddocks? Just have a look around things, your weed control, your fencing, going up to your arena. Just be aware of everything. You don't want to be dealing with stuff, mending things. You're going to be busy getting a horse fit. And quite a lot of people are working full time. Not not many are working in yards. There's a lot of people who are, they might be studying at school or uni or working. So just make sure everything's ready. Yeah. And then you can concentrate on the horse and what you're doing. And it's quite a busy time. So that's what I thought more of prep. Joe, you turned into such an Australian talking about floats and paddocks. <laughs> we do have to mention that float could mean trailer or lorry or truck and uh, paddocks could mean fields or pastures. I had a Google the other day on, and I've Googled on float 
I was looking at various <laughs> float designs, yes. and I managed to get a picture of a, a horse trailer floating down a river, and I thought, <laughs> hang on a minute. <laughs> it's not what I yes, meant. Yes, but, yes. They talk about floating yeah, teeth or something. I know. We've been mm. here nearly 10 years now, mm. so mm. it's sort of, yeah, it becomes your language. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number three, anyway, is the walk work. We talk about the walk work and how important that is. I know we've mentioned it before when we were talking on yeah. the first interview yeah. and quite a lot of people miss this stage out. It's a little boring. People just don't like to be walking horses for two weeks. Um, but if a horse is coming off of an, a time of no work, they need to get the base fitness. And this bit is probably the most important bit because it builds the base muscle and it conditions the tendons and the ligaments and the muscles before you start anything else. It, it sort of gives you the whole groundwork that everything else gets built on. And it could be that the person's already been riding out in the country, the horse is in a paddock. Uh, they're, they're doing a certain amount of work, but I, I would then probably skip to bringing in a little bit of trot but I would definitely still be walking out. And basically you start from a 20-minute walk daily and you work up gradually over two weeks to an hour or an hour and a half, which sounds a long time. It depends where you're based. So I've been based on adjustment yards where we walk the tracks around the adjustment paddocks. To adjustment, you need livery, don't you? You mean livery? Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah, so I call it livery in the UK. Um, And livery yards where there might be tracks, grass tracks going around the outside of the paddocks. Mm -hmm. And then there might be roads and tracks leading off to rides out in the country. So you use what you've got. And you use, if you've got a neighbour who lets you through next door, I've got a neighbour lets me onto quite a big acreage. You can use that and you can just walk in a contact with the horse active. There is an exception when um, you get a few horses that just will not settle to walk work. And rather than be hanging on to something that's bucking and rearing and getting dangerous, it's better sometimes just to get on and just trot for a while and then come back and settle. But it's the, the active walking that really builds up a lot of muscle. And I do a lot of it at home. I take them out on a block of land and and walk them and make it progressive in time scale and then gradually bringing in bringing in more slopes on a very gradual basis. I was going but to I, ask you, what do you do if the horse is too fresh, who you know would be dangerous? But I think you've answered that. I think you, you settle the horse and then you return to the walk work and do the walk work. Yeah, I had a my old boy who's now twenty seven. He was the first ride out. After time off, he was beautiful. The second ride, you got a neck strap and a a monkey (laughs) strap hung on. He would fly buck. He was just all his adrenaline excitement. I'm back in work. And and I thought, if I can stay, I've got to stay on him because I I had to cross almost a dual carriageway to get to the country on the other side. So I'd walk him in a little bit of lateral work. So the first couple of minutes I'd just trot along the track get to the main road and then I would literally do cross that and do shoulder in or leg yield across the tracks or anything to 
engage his brain. Mm-hmm. But just walking along, he'd be bucking and jumping <laughs> up in the air and any noise, leaf, branch, you know, it, it became a nightmare. Um, it actually made me strong. I think it was the first time when I got, I finally, after cycling and swimming and trying everything I possibly could to be strong enough, he gave me strong legs because okay. I just, no way was I going to come off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, and eventually then I got him so he was calmer. So we could we could go and walk miles and okay. um, and get him really toned up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel that for a lot of people competing at the starting levels, it's understanding that the ligaments and tendons, they may say, oh, my horse is, my horse is fine. I trotted up the hill the other day, didn't even puff. But it's not, it's not that. It's the fibres and the tendons and the ligaments. And I found that out myself recently. When I, earlier this year, I got an Achilles strain because I hadn't actually been jumping for a while. And then I went and did some grid work and I, my leg had tightened up and I strained my Achilles. And for the horses, we just want to make sure all those fibres are elastic and conditioned gradually so that they don't do a strain that's going to put you back months. And that's what I think the purpose is of this sort of fitting plan. All right. Well, that brings us on to number four, which you've got is introducing trot. So let's say that the horse was very quiet and um, well behaved and did just walk out. So you've walked them out for the first one or two weeks from 20 minutes to 60 or 90 minutes. At what stage then do you introduce trot? We sort of go with the horse in that. When they feel they're going along there, you can see them toning up. And actually, whilst I'm doing the walking, you you groom quite a lot. Rather than just washing them off, is actually get a brush and give them a good, strong grooming. And you can see the muscle development beginning. But I find that helps condition the muscles, like old-fashioned strapping. And then you get to a stage where you can feel that they need to go forward a bit. You both need to crack on a bit. You need a little bit more exercise in there, a bit more attention. So you start bringing in trot and you start bringing in hills, but low hills, just sort of a gradual hill. So I would probably trot on the flat for a nice long track. I'd trot along there for a couple of minutes, then walk, and then walk up a, a hill that's not too steep, just a gradual incline. I wouldn't trot up it at this stage. I'd just drop my hands, take a light seat, put my legs on and push the horse into an active walk up the hill so that they stretch forward. Rather than just going along on a loose rein, I actually make them work. And the main aim is to try and get them to use their hind legs and push. And you can feel when they, as they get fitter, you start to feel that they, when they're not fit, they want to, they want to rush up, they want to trot or they want to canter up the hill because it's hard work. But when, as they get fitter, they can cope with walking up there. So it's making them walk and making them push off their hind legs through. And it helps develop the top line and then over the neck. It, it develops all the way through the muscles and you can sort of gauge how they're going. And then you'll find later in the week they're pushing along much easier and into your second week. They, you know, they might be actually getting ready for a small trot up there, but you can gauge by the way they're dropping their head and pushing forward and pushing through from the back legs. 
mm-hmm. as to how fit they're actually getting. Um, so it's not set in stone, but it could be I I walk a horse for a week and then I think, no, we need to do a bit of trotting. Um, we need to get a little bit of trotting in. But I, I've got a variety of hills around me and I'll, when I'm starting them off or if they were coming back from an injury, I always start on the flat and then on the low level. And I don't tackle the steep hills at this stage because I'm going to be asking too much of the, the tendons and ligaments and it's going to work against them. I want them to build slowly. All right. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Okay, now that's good. And I like the way that you said it's not set in stone. It's keep talking about, and you do, you keep talking about judging the horse and looking at the muscles and feeling how fit they're getting. We've got number five here is introducing schooling. So at the moment, you've just talked about being out, but not actually schooling the horse. So can you talk about introducing that, when it would be and what type of exercises? Yeah, this is where I I find talking to a lot of people, they when they first bring their horses back in, they would probably say they're going to start lunging them. Now, that's, there's times when you need to do that because they could be a very novice rider and a very lively horse. There are I've seen a lot of difficult situations, but if you're able to hack out, as I call it, walk out and then trot, bring this in gradually, you don't actually school them until they're established in their walking and trotting work on hacks and country, depending what's available. So because schooling is quite hard, it's quite strong. It's strong on the tendons, the ligaments, the muscles. Circling is quite strong. If you're bringing in a, a young horse into its first event, so it's coming up through and it's coming into its first serious fitness, schooling is is quite hard and I would put in, I would even be doing fields and that on my tracks long before I started doing lots of circling work. But I have, again, it's flexible because I've worked with riders who are so nervous to ride out and they might have a very quiet horse if they can take it in the arena. It's a quiet horse, but they're so afraid of it riding out that it would be really difficult for them to go through that. So that might be a different sort of situation when I think, you know, seek somebody's advice, seek the advice of a coach, talk with them, how are you going to get through this? You might be able to get someone get on for a couple of weeks and just get them through the worst bit. And and then they could get to the stage where they're in the arena schooling and they could build up the confidence. But those with a bit of experience, schooling, and it could be, Give an example. 
I worked on a yard in, in Somerset in the UK and we had we had a lot of horses on the yard and they were doing a variety of dressage and some show jumping and some eventing. And we would take them up into the country for 40 minutes ride and then come back and then we'd school them. Now, there are, I think there are a few horses that do really well from schooling first and then going out for the ride. And there are some that are a lot better for riding out and then schooling. So I'd continue my walk work and my trot work, but I'd bring 10 minutes schooling at the end of it. Okay. Or at the beginning of yep. it, depending on the horse. Yep. I wouldn't suddenly go from the walk and trot and then now I'm schooling. It would be, right, they're ready and they're toned up and I'm going to pop up to the arena. That's where we are here. Or in a, a livery yard, I'm like, now I'm going to come back from my ride and I'm going to go into the arena and I'm just going to do 10 minutes of some circling and leg yielding and then I'm going to stretch them out and walk and take them in. And you start your schooling and then you build it up. So it could be 10 minutes, then it could be 20 minutes or half an hour, as well as riding out and decide whether the horse is better schooled first. I've actually got two horses here. One is far better if you school him first. And then when he's good, he gets the reward of a ride out. Because when I ride him out, he's too anxious. Mm-hmm. So he's better in a contained arena and then I ride him out. And the other one is much better ridden out his young one and he settles if he goes for 20 minute hack out and I have a little trot up through the there's a lovely big grassy paddock and then I bring him up the arena and he takes a deep breath and he's much more relaxed <laughs> and I get much better work out of him and and he likes his little routine for that so they're all different and some even I might work them for five minutes in hand before I get on and then they go up and do just 10 15 minutes schooling and then they go for a walk so it's it's a lot of variety, but the schooling again starts with walking in schooling, and there could be some lateral work in that walking, and then trotting, and again lateral work into the trotting. And at this stage, I I get the walk and trot started first before I bring in the canter. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's number six anyway is the canter yeah. starting the canter. So would you like to go on and talk about that? Yeah, I just smile for a minute there. I remember going for a ride around our block with a couple of friends and the horses hadn't been ridden for I don't know two months and we got to a slope leading up to the arena and they said they just shot off in canter <laughs> and I, I'm like well first of all I'm hanging on to mine thinking oh my god I'm gonna die yes, <laughs> yes. And, and I had to trot up behind but they were not knowing what stress they put those those two ponies under. They'd been in a paddock for months and they were pushing up a steep hill in Canter. So Canter comes progressively down the line here. I've got week six to seven that I start bringing cantering in my schooling and I might bring cantering in gradually along the tracks. I tend to like a slight incline if I think I'm going to get a lively horse, but just just bring it in gradually. I don't go hooning up a steep slope, but just in a, a light seat, bridge brain, taking the weight off their back and letting the work through in a very steady, good rhythm. And I've been with friends where they don't have the country to work in, so they might ride around the livery yard and then gradually start their schooling. And then they might use the arena for country. And if it's a big enough arena, 
they'll wait till it's quiet, take the horse in, go into a light seat, bridge their reins, and just do what could be a minute or two of canter, and then come back to walk and stretch them out. And then gradually you get into canter circles, and change of lead, and, and sort of progressive working up so that they they develop the hind muscles and their top line over and that they become stronger. That leads us into beginning to bring in jumping grids because as the horses now, they've, they've done their walk work, so they've got the base muscle. They've done trotting, they've brought in low-level hills, they've trotted up hills, they're schooling, they're getting much stronger. And gradually they're beginning to lift and push off much better so we're ready to start jumping. And I would bring in small grids just because it's it's an easier way to get the athletic build-up. You can allow the horse to develop itself in an athletic way and develop the strength. And, and this, again, is putting the ligaments and tendons on a little bit more stress. So the walk has just given them the basic conditioning and the trot, but then gradually the low hills leading on to steeper hills They've been stretching the entry ligament. They've been testing the stretch on their tendons and ligaments. So by the time they jump, they're actually conditioned to do it without creating an injury. And that's the reason for that sort of preparation. So then I would bring in a grid, not a sort of just bounce. That's far too difficult. I'd start off with a one stride to a two stride to an oxer at the end, or I might bump some interesting little angles and and skinnies and things in the arena and just start a bit of variety. And I wouldn't make it too massive at the beginning. I just want them to stretch. It's really like going to aerobics and stretching and stretching and relaxing and stretching and just making sure everything and the joints, everything's protected by the gradual build-up. So by building the muscle to protect the joint, that's... um, while I'm while I'm thinking of this, I, I'm thinking I've not mentioned, and we haven't mentioned the human side of it. That I think, you know, before I start a fitting plan with a horse, I make sure that I'm fairly fit, and I think it makes a big difference. Sometimes I might be swimming for a few weeks before, or I might go to an exercise class as I'm doing now once a week to get myself toned because I, I don't really want to have time off because I strain myself or. Um, horse so you're doing that fitting work for a few weeks before you actually start the horse are you yeah so we're sort of up to week seven to eight now and I really like the way that it's not been a black and white it's been depending on what this horse prefers it depends on this and you've got to remember this and and it's all been I mean obviously you're bringing in a vast experience here but it's been that you've got to keep looking at your horse that's the thing. It keep coming back through. And even though we, we're jumping small grids at week six to seven, you keep saying every horse is different. So, yeah, so that's week six to seven. So you might be up to week 10, 11 yourself. Yeah, I, yeah. I brought a young horse on that was – I had it backed by a local trainer. I did the initial work and then had him backed. And before that, I swam – twice a week at the local pool to get mm-hmm. myself conditioned before I got on him yep. because he was going to be a young, lively, athletic horse. I know the first day we rode out after he'd been broken in, he 
he leapt into the air and did a mighty butt. And I need to be toned and fit myself and yep. balanced because I think there's nothing more frightening than being really unfit as a rider mm. and having a horse that's under you that's way fitter and way stronger than you are. And the whole thing that when they spook, if they suddenly shoot naught to 60 sideways over a plastic bag, if you're toned and just fit enough, not saying supersonic, not every day in the gym, but just doing something that you like that tones you up, you'll be with that spook. Mm. You won't you won't pull your a muscle. Um, as you do more schooling, you're not going to get a stitch. You're not going to hurt so much. You just and it keeps your body even, so it keeps your weight even in both stirrups. You're not putting more pressure on one side of the horse because you're really stiff, and you're just able. You're more elastic, and you're able to recover and cope with it. And I, I think it's a really hard job doing. I've most of my life, I've worked in yards, but most of my life, I've been working a job myself and kept horses going outside of that job. So I'm really aware of how hard it is to get up, feed, rug, do, go to work, do a full day's work and come back. And where are you going to fit in your riding? It's where do you fit it all in? And then there are there are riders that I know in adult riding club that have got children. It's really, really hard and having horses is not easy. So you've got to work with what works for you some people like the early morning and some people like after work some work part-time or three-quarter time and just find the best time the best routine that can work for you otherwise people are going to get exhausted and tired a bit and they won't want to continue and I I've been in a situation where I can work a horse five days a week but I've actually done four days or had a very experienced horse I'd work three I'd, I'd like to be working four doesn't have to be six days a week and one day off as you would in a professional yard because you just can't do it all sure. and and you've got to got to get a balance a mm-hmm. healthy balance that's enjoyable I think so just bringing us on to the interval training which we haven't talked about yet that's point number seven Tell us about that, you know, because generally you think interval training, are we talking about a three-day event, are we talking about a general fitness? What are we actually talking about when we talk about interval training? So if you can maybe explain interval training and when we would use interval training. I've used and I've coached other riders to use interval training for just for one-day events. Mm -hmm. But you would take interval training to a much higher level if you were going to do a three-day event and a higher level. So the initial interval training, what it means is you've you've got to your canter work. If you do, to start with, like a minute of canter and then a minute of walk and then a minute of canter. And I don't know if studies have changed a lot now, but I still think that it's the, you work the muscle, then you relax it and then you work it again and that develops fitness more than if you just went for a canter and then stopped. It's the actual, it's called that for the interval, is you work, then you relax, then you work again. And some people even ride with a heart monitor and they can assess how quickly the horse recovers down to its base pulse rate. By When you start, they won't recover as fast. They may take the whole minute to come back down again. They may not come back down in that minute. And Later on, your second or third counter, you'll find that in the minute they recover much quicker. 
And at the end of it, they recover much quicker. And that's when you can assess that they're actually getting fitter. And you, would, you wouldn't work this every day. I'd probably, just for a one-day event, I've told riders maybe just to go and do one or two canters, in the, two canters maybe in the week of interval training, one-minute canter, one-minute walk, one-minute canter, and then just carry on with your ride. And then further down the week, maybe try two minutes canter, one minute walk, two minutes canter in a light seat, just weight off the back in a good rhythm. It's not fast. It's not galloping. It's just cross-country stride. And when you've done two minutes, one minute rest, two minutes, you're nearly at a whole cross-country course because most courses at one day event is about five minutes. So that's why you would you'd work that up. And you take a little bit longer in your week's plan if you're going up to a big event, say you're going to do Melbourne three-day event, three-star, you'd want to build up your interval training until the horse could actually do the 12 minutes or 11 minutes of the course because that's really quite strong canter work. And for the rider as well, to be in a light seat off the saddle. I remember doing um, measuring uh, round a massive paddock with markers for 100 metres and timing it to get my timing correct at the right pace for pre-novice, for instance, and being in a light seat. And I was in my young 30s and I could feel the muscle <laughs> tightening coming up through the leg to the back and up to the shoulders. And I had a good physio as well. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's hard work and it's really hard on the body to be four or five minutes out there for unfit riders. So you're sort of you're building up your own fitness and your ability to stay in a light seat really help the horse and allow the horse to bowl on in a balanced way. I think I went out in my um this is, you know, back when they had the roads and tracks in the three days. Yeah. And in my first three days I went out and I the whole roads and tracks I did in two point because I thought that's what you had oh. to do. You know, oh. I didn't know my coach, like oh. we just walked, did the walks and tracks and my coach said, you know, do this, 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 this. And then when I came in, he said, did you really do the whole the whole um, roads and tracks in two point? And I went, well, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd practised for it because that's the oh, way wow. I'd done my fitting. Um, yeah, because you would have been fit. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, I just, that's just what I did. <laughs> wow, well, I yeah. definitely had strong legs there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I can feel that because I've been along here at the moment. I've got two horses that are just doing light work, but I'll go along and trot along in a two-point position for a bit, and then I'm rising again, and that does help strengthen up, but I'm not sure about 40, 50 minutes on roads and tracks. That'd be hard work. (laughs) Anyway, we've got number eight. We go on now to cross-country training, so tell us a little bit about that. Okay, just I'll just briefly say around seven when I'm interval training or, you know, even when I started canter, well, no, you've done canter and grids. Yeah. I'd be looking for a small show jump competition. Okay. If it fits in, I'll already have looked at my diary. There might be something, especially around the time I'm cantering, where I can go out and take the horse and do a couple of rounds of show jumping. I wouldn't be pushing them to full height. I'd start... Not too low, but they're bored and get complacent, but somewhere just a step down maybe from where I'm competing and just get a nice rhythmic round under my belt before um, 
And then we went on to cross-country training. So sort of point eight was to go and have a session of cross-country training with a coach or a clinic. And I'd be looking for something that's confidence-building. I wouldn't want to suddenly be pushing myself to way more than I'm going to compete at at that stage. I want It's got to build up the horse's confidence and mine. Mm-hmm. So I'd be looking for a nice, solid experience that I'm leading up to a first one-day event here. So I want to come out at a really positive note. And um, I pick who I'm going to go to and, you know, work with the riders I coach as well. That If they say, I, I want to do some training with you, and we've got our first event at Wagga or Albury in two, three weeks, we've already planned that ahead. I will be careful about what stresses I put them under mm-hmm. because I want it to come out that they end that session feeling confident, strong, and the horse comes out with that look on its face. Yeah really enjoyed that and then not fried them not over push them over a whole load of jumps that were suddenly bigger than they used to and I think that's really important that um, you sort of take a bit of responsibility of a, as a rider as well of, of not suddenly throwing horse into something out of its scope but just just get a good experience out of it yeah. get a good feel and you're building confidence all the way through so what you're getting ready here is that by the time you get to your first one-day event, you get a clear round in a rhythm. You've practiced the rhythm. You've practiced riding in the light seat. You've practiced your jumping. You've had a small competition. At some way earlier on there, you could fit in a dressage competition and go out and do two tests at a, a local venue. So you've done that. They've been out. And you're getting all the stages ready not so that it's all thrown in on the day, but the horse is prepared and you're prepared mentally to um, go and do the level that you're competing at. So cross-country training, yes, it could be sort of around that time when the canter's really fit and there's hill work and you're jumping, then cross-country training would come in. Yep, yep. Okay, and then the next one you've got, because the competition you went to is just the show jumping competition. So the next one is number nine, and we've got the lead up to the event. So here I've got, on let's say a typical week, uh, Monday the horse goes for a hack out, and um, might be a 20-minute hack and 20-minute schooling after work. And Tuesday I might go and do a canter with a gradual hill. So I could go and do an interval canter and then walking and then cantering, could be bringing cantering into the hill work. Uh, Just to mention, a lot of people say, oh, I haven't got hills. Well, I've been in a situation where I'd put the horse in a truck and taken it to a hill. And at that stage, I didn't. I was in a livery yard and I hired a truck off a friend and I would take the horse to do some hill work. So it's, it's not, you've got to work with what you've got. And sometimes you haven't got everything there and you've just got to find a way to do the best you can. Yeah. So the lead up to the event, I'm just thinking sort of what the standard week would be. Maybe Wednesday I'd go back to half an hour of trotting and some hill work and then school, do quite a bit of the movements of test work and some canter work. Thursday I might do some jumping and Friday, it depends whether you could ride every day. Friday, say I couldn't couldn't ride. Saturday, 
I would again do a hat, maybe have some counter work in again. So work my week like that. But on the lead up to the event, I think it's really important, one, that you start thinking about your kit that you're going to need. Um, I used to write, write a list. I used to – actually, Jane Holden as Rodham had a book where she had – she did a, a pamphlet years ago, How to Event, and it was fantastic. And it gave you a basic kit list of what to take with you. But it was fantastic. I had it for years. I've lost it now. But things like spare rain, spare stirrups, a lot of people don't think about that, spare girth. I might get a box and I'll start packing my kit, making sure you've got all your documents in there. You've got your numbers. When they tell you the number that you're going to be, you've got your numbers ready, that your kit's clean. You've got everything you need and you've got spares. You've got enough saddle cloth. I start thinking about what food I'm going to take with me because that's really important. I always <laughs> forget it. Um, so I've got usually think of the horse and I make sure I've got all my feed supplies there and everything's ready. But and the drugs and and they're clean. Um, you've got your stable booked. You will have entered to your competition way before. So I think in that last week, just getting the kit ready. But the other thing is, I think it's really important. Um, like on the week leading up to a, an event, I don't suddenly start riding the test massively at home. I think all the training comes in well before. You've got your work there. You've learnt your test. You might have gone out and done a couple of competitions in dressage. And then the last week, you ride out and stay chilled. Might go for a hack out instead. Go for a lovely long canter up a hill and just stay relaxed because it's not the time to be suddenly hammering away at your test and um, totally panicking about, oh, my God, I haven't got that movement. I haven't got that. It's it's too late. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Prepare it earlier and just try because there's adrenaline going through in that week leading up to an event, the horse will sense it, just stay chilled. And I think that's really important to um, have everything ready, have your kit ready, especially if you're working full-time, get it ready the week before start planning. So you can just put it in your float or truck or whatever you've got, your horse is ready, and you've got this plan, you know how much feed you're going to take. And, and that's sort of last week of prep. Say so the event's going to be arriving on a Friday and the one-day event on a Saturday and then heading home in the evening. Just plan how much feed you want to take with you and um, start putting it together. Okay. My house becomes, um, there's a an ironing board in the corner that's got piles of kit <laughs> on it, joggies and jackets and numbers are put in place and I've got the test printed out or test printed out for one, one event and and it's just ready. I find that being organised takes yep. a lot of the stress out. And um, remember waterproof waterproof clothing, warm clothing and bedding if you're staying over and things like that. And just, just get make sure it's all organised. And that way you can have a better event. This number 10 is almost a non-event. You know, we've already got up and, yeah, and to the event, but we've still got to think about number 10, which is keeping the fitness after that first event. Yeah, so we've got that lead-up week. There's a lot of adrenaline and there's an awful lot of work's gone in. And as you'll know yourself from past, you know, it's just so much has gone in. And then you get there and you've, you've prepared every bit of this. So you don't get there and suddenly do anything different. You've done your flat work, you've done your show jumping, you've done your cross-country, and you just produce them at the event. But then 
winding down from that is, I think, really critical. So it's important at the event to walk a horse after and cool them down steadily and then keep them warm if it's cold weather or keep them cool if it's hot and let them rest before you travel and uh, make sure they've got the right amount of food or roughage to recover, not fed too soon, but fed so they can have something in their stomach and then a rest before they travel to protect them from ulcers and stressing in the stomach. They bring them home and I think it's really important that they're not just stuck out in the paddock and left for a couple of days. I think they need to go for a walk and stretch. It's the same way we would if we put ourselves under a lot of stress the next day. We're tired, but we need to stretch. Otherwise, we're going to seize up a bit. We're going to feel the tiredness. So I find the horses are always quite hungry the next day, but I'm really careful that you don't suddenly start packing in more feed than normal. You just make sure they get they get a good feed. Usually they're fed twice a day. Um, some people feed three times a day in yards, but twice a day when we're working and lots of roughage and take them out for a lovely stretch, nothing too stressful, and just have a sort of light trot along and flex out and then take them back, rug up, back out in the paddock. And then it's, you need your plan of where you're going next. So there could be another event in three weeks. They may have just light hacking for three days just to wind down from that first event and the travel and all the stress. And then by the fourth day, you might bring in your schooling again. And then you just, nothing too heavy, bring in schooling. And the next week, do a couple of sessions of some just light grid work. Just keep it ticking along. But not putting too much stress, but at the same time not winding down too much. And I think then when you get to the, the end of the event season, then it's really important that you wind down steadily and bring them down. I think that's the thing people often miss. And I was taught that you have to wind down fitness. You don't just drop it off an edge, but you wind it down and you bring them down to a spell through decreasing and coming back down to light trots and then to walking and stretching out and sort of winding them down with their feet at the same time before you put them out for a spell. And that way they can settle into it much better and they don't do themselves any harm. And it controls the energy because you've got a very, very fit horse that might have at some stage done three three or four or more or five events and they're, they're in their routine and they're really... They love their routine and they're fit in their routine and they they will expect that. So you have to wind down to a level where they could go into the paddock and have two, three weeks off or more resting and grazing. But that has to be brought down slowly, yep. I'd say, over, over a couple of weeks okay. after the last event to wind them down and to lower their energy, otherwise they're going to be hooning. And I think that ha- that has happened in the past in a lot of really top yards that I remember a horse that was related to my horse here, went to Burley, came 11th, was fabulous, and then was killed in the paddock two weeks later, oh, broke its leg. And it, it's really important that they wind down properly and the energy's wound down so that they can become a relaxed grazing horse until the next time they're brought back in. Yep. 
there's a lot of a lot of work in it and and I should think there'll be some people who listen they'll go oh my god I'm in the riding club and I'm going to do a one day event and I can't possibly do all that <laughs> so you know and I've got two kids and I work I can't so moderate it just hack out your horse for a week or two before you start schooling and going to a couple of lessons just just trot a couple of hills go out with a friend and bring it in steadily but bring that attitude of take it steadily up through and plan ahead and be cantering before you go and do cross-country training be comfortable in a two-point position go and do a show jump lesson before don't ever expect to go and do it all at the event and just be brave it, it's just not not the way to do it it's too dangerous and too likely to have an injury for a horse or rider and work as many days as you can in what works for each person and some horses some need lots of work and some actually don't need lots of work they just they just need the sort of consistency so it's sort of be flexible and work with it but try and formulate some form of plan for horse and rider so that you arrive there fit toned and happy and healthy and in one piece <laughs> and uh, yeah just as best as best as possible because it is a dangerous sport and we can do an awful lot of things to make it a lot safer for horse and rider and and everybody and just a lot of it's about energy management and the fitting is really uh, along with that we haven't mentioned is the feeding so I think that's another episode isn't it that is <laughs> If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Joe, look, I like the way that you summarised that. I don't think we need to go back through it. I think that was just really good sound advice. And I think right throughout the whole chat, you talked about flexibility and you just brought in a lot of common sense. And I think, you know, working with people and understanding that people have got different situations and horses are different, you know, so bringing in that flexibility, I think, you know, having the baseline of this is what's ideal, but also saying, but in certain circumstances, this isn't going to work. So I think, yeah, again, really good talking to you and we need you back again. We need you to talk about feeding to go along with this fitness and, you know, as a compliment to this fitness. So we'd love to have you back again. And, Thank um, you. Yeah. No, that was, enjoy talking to you. Oh, Thank you. Good to talk to you. And now, Joe, if people need to get in contact with you, what's the best way? Uh, Facebook private message is quite good. I'm on Facebook as Joe, look up for Joe Hall, H-O-O-L-E. Uh, email is good. That's joehall92 at gmail.com. When we when you have the chats come up, is there an option for people to comment and contact? There will be. So yep. through horse chats. Yes, and they'll be able to contact you on horsechats.com slash joehool2 or just go to horsechats.com and search for Joe or search for Hool, H-O-O-L-E, and they'll find your contact details. You'll have a couple of pages. By the time you do the feeding one, you'll have that one as well, and they all link to your contact details. They'll all, they'll all have your contact details on them, and they should link to each other as well. Great, yeah. So if, I mean, anybody's got any questions on that, more than welcome to get in touch and Good. sort of just ask people. It's always <laughs> ask and find out, find a way that works. Yeah. 
All right. Thanks again, Joe. I'll talk to you again some, sometime soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.